Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire. Jesus told us that the most important thing is to love God and to love our neighbor. And what better way to love God than to love His handiwork? And what better way to love our neighbor than to make sure that they can flourish and thrive on a healthy planet? Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this special Earth Day episode with Reverend Kyle Myard Skop. Kyle is a Christian school grad whose passion to care for the planet is deeply rooted in his love and commitment to Jesus. As the national organizer and spokesperson for Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, much of Kyle's professional work centers around communicating the idea that as Christians we have a responsibility to care for God's world. For me, Kyle is the kind of person who breaks down the boxes I sometimes have in my head of who's allowed to care for the planet and reminds me that listening is always the first step forward. Enough from me, let's get to the conversation. So Kyle, I remember as a young man, I loved video games. There was like this early 90s computer we had at my school mm -hmm. with these green lines and boxes and you got to kind of navigate your way around. And then we got a PlayStation 1 when I was just a little guy and it was just so exciting. I, I was fascinated with graphics uh -huh. and it wasn't until later in life, you know, when there's talk of 3D and all these things, I realized the clearest, coolest technology just pales in comparison <laughs> with with actual life. You know what I mean? Like the actual world we're living in is a thousand times cooler and clearer <laughs> than any of these things. And it was just so ironic almost how excited I was about the potential of 3D yeah. when it's like, yeah, we're already living in that all the time and more. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, that was part of almost, a, I would describe it as like a re-enchantment with creation, mm. having new eyes to see how incredibly cool the world we're living in actually is. Yeah. Uh, do you remember it all for you, Kyle, that, that process of realizing, wow, this place is amazing? Yeah, that's really cool. That's funny. I I was also into video games and I feel like the era of video games that you and I lived through was the pursuit of perfect graphics and it was all in the oh, pursuit yeah. of approximating real life. And every time a new yes. console or a new game came out, you're like, oh, this is amazing. This looks real. When the window was right next door and we could just look out the window and see the real real <laughs> of, right, of right. God's incredible creation. Yeah, that's that's a great story. I think for me, it, it, it was growing up uh, by Lake Michigan. Growing mm. up in Holland, the lake was just a part of my story. Going to the beach in the summers, anytime I'm, I'm kind of asked in the course of my work, you know, what, what part of creation, what part of the world kind of holds your heart? And I always come back to Lake Michigan. It's just such an incredible part of of God's handiwork such a beautiful piece of God's creation and uh you know the the dunes surrounding it Mount Pisgah was where my wife and I mm. had our first kiss um, oh wow <laughs> uh, I I worked at a, a summer camp in Grand Haven the conference grounds some listeners might be familiar with it after camping there my entire childhood and it's right on Lake Michigan I got to spend Every day of my summers as a college student, when I worked there at the beach, building relationships with young people, exploring the character and love and grace of God, just in that incredible setting. And uh, yeah, it's 
I always come back to that because it's, it just feels like such a gift and it's easy to take for granted. But when you actually stop and think about the wonder of it, yeah, it's, it's really hard not to, not to be enchanted with just mm. the, the beauty of it and the way that it communicates God's love and, and character to us. I, I want to start a hashtag, Kyle, hashtag best planet, because <laughs> it's just is the best planet. I mean, I've not been to many others, but I sure. just think it's the best planet. <laughs> uh, so you, you had this love, this appreciation. In a lot of your writings, you talk about kind of a disconnect, though. Mm. You loved the world and, and creation, but there wasn't a sense it was something you were called to actually care for. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how did those dots get connected for you? Mm. I... I always kind of tell the story of my my immersion into this work and, and my journey toward deeper awareness of God's call for us to, to love and care for his world and kind of the reality of, of what our actions are doing to it and to to our neighbors, right? Because what we do to creation doesn't just impact trees and birds and, and lakes, it impacts human beings because um, we all mm. depend on creation um, to, to flourish and thrive. The beginning of my journey toward a deeper awareness on that actually began with my brother. My brother is three years older than me, respect him like crazy. And when he was a sophomore in college, I was a junior in high school at Holland Christian. Um, and he went off on a semester abroad to New Zealand, where he studied at the cool. intersection of biology and ecology and biblical studies and theology. It was a Christian study abroad program where they really studied um, deeply the connections between what scripture had to say about God's world and what God thought about it. Uh, and then exploring that world in a hands-on way in one of the most beautiful parts of the world imaginable hmm. and thinking through what the impacts that human choices were having on it and maybe what all of that then called forth in us as followers of Jesus. And he came back totally transformed. And, and I think the, the most memorable moment of that transformation was soon after he arrived home, he announced to the family that he was now a vegetarian. Um, there are great reasons to eat less meat. We can talk more about that. But at the time, to my, my 16, 17-year-old ears, that just sounded completely bizarre to me. Hmm. Um, I, I, I knew nobody who had ever made that choice, much less anyone like me, that I identified as someone like me. I always kind of had this vague idea of people who would make that kind of choice as like radicals who were hugging trees and throwing paint on fur coats on the weekends. Um, <laughs> but, but not anyone in my own family or anyone I, I knew and loved and respected. And so that really brought me up short. And it, it kind of made me stop and, and consider you know, the, the choice that I had before me, which was basically lump my brother into that imaginary category that I had created, which was painful, and, and kind of separate myself from him, or suspend those assumptions and hear him out. And thanks be to God, he was patient with me, uh, and, and he kind of walked me through his journey and some of the resources that were impactful for him. And he shared some of those with me, and I engaged with those resources. And, and that whole process kind of accelerated when I then went off to Calvin College and took classes, built relationships with professors and peers, went to lectures, read more books and, and papers, took service learning immersion trips, all of which just kind of contributed to this growing sense that God really loves what God has created. And God tells humans, invites humans to share in that love and appreciation and to have a responsibility to take care of it. And at the same time, 
a lot of the choices that we've been making as individuals and as a society have been harming the the good creation that God made and God loves and that God calls us to care for. Um, so all of that kind of contributed to my own deepening awareness of how caring for creation is actually a part of following Jesus. Hmm. When Jesus says in the Gospels that the whole thing hinges on loving God and loving your neighbor, right? That's that's the whole thing. It can all be summed up in that. And then when I look out and I, I see how how a degraded creation and a degraded environment, how dirty air is is causing uh, skyrocketing rates of asthma in young kids, how environmental toxins like mercury and lead are crossing the placenta and impeding fetal development, how stronger hurricanes are harming my neighbors in the Gulf Coast, um, how an unstable climate is threatening my children and my grandchildren's ability to thrive and flourish on a healthy planet in, in God's healthy creation. When I look out at all of that, I, 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 it's hard for me to conceive of a way for me to authentically live out my faith that doesn't take the challenges of environmental harm and climate change seriously. Wow. So what I hear you saying, Kyle, is that caring for creation is actually caring for people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was a realization that I had. It really came from the opportunities I had to, to kind of go out and, and meet people. I, I went to Appalachia um, on two service learning trips when I was in college and witnessed what mountaintop removal coal mining, which is a really destructive form of, of mining, um, what it was doing to local communities and the complexity of that, right? Because those people who were being exposed to these harmful toxins that were seeping into the groundwater and making it impossible for them to, to even drink their water, and that was infecting 11-year-old girls with ovarian cancer, who, you know, this community had cancer clusters here because of their exposure to the heavy metals that were being released from this practice. At the same time, those mining operations were putting food on their table, right? The, the complexity mm. of economics and uh, environmental care and, and what it all means then for how we, how we make choices that maximize our neighbor's good. It happened when I, I met a farmer in Kenya who spent her entire life growing food to feed her family, and she was really good at it. And then a few years back, she told us that the weather patterns started changing and they were no longer the predictable patterns that she knew um, and, and that her community knew. Uh, they they used to know exactly when to plant because they knew when the rains were going to come. Then the rains started coming late or early or not at all. And she and her family were thrown into food insecurity because of it. Stories like that, that really drove home for me exactly what you said, that creation care equals people care. That if we want to get better at loving our neighbors and caring for the poor, then we have to take the reality of environmental harm and climate change seriously, because it's making situations that harm our neighbors worse. Kyle, I'm just thinking about my own experiences is one of the challenges I imagine we're in this two party system. It often feels like there's just two options and caring for the planet is owned by one of them. Hmm. Uh, do you see, do you see that as a major challenge? And, and if so, what do we do about that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great observation and it's really important to name that because I think that is the reality that we're living in is that uh, somewhere along the line we've been sold a bill of goods that has told us that you can only take 
caring for the environment seriously if you identify with one political party over another. That somehow, I love how you said that, somehow one political party owns, quote unquote, the issue of the environment. And the, the more history I learn, the more I realize what a paper tiger that actually is. The um, Environmental Protection Agency, the premier government agency that works toward the preservation and protection of God's creation, was created by Richard Nixon, a Republican. The National Environmental Policy Act, which is the foundational law in the United States upon which things like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, other major landmark environmental policies have been built. All of those policies were signed by Republican presidents. When the world recognized that the chemicals we were using to keep things cold were also causing a hole in the ozone, they came together in the 80s and said, how do, we, how do we patch this hole? How do we phase these chemicals out and replace them with different ones? They did it. And the hole in the ozone is healing. And that crisis was averted because the world was brought together under the leadership of Ronald Reagan and his administration, a Republican president. This hasn't always been the partisan issue that it seems to be today. I think there are lots of reasons for why the political parties have found it advantageous to make this a wedge issue, to uh, tell their bases and their constituents either that uh, this is an issue that only we can care about or that this is an issue that uh, only those crazy people care about. But it's not, and it doesn't have to be. Now, I, I, I understand that uh, when we go to vote, it can feel like we only have a black or white choice. And, and that's a choice that, you know, I think all of us as Christians need to approach prayerfully and thoughtfully. And uh, it's an important part of what it means to live out our faith in public for the sake of the common good is voting. But that's not the only form that faithful citizenship takes, right? Um, we can also, between election years, be building relationships with our members of Congress, letting them know that regardless of what party they belong to, we want them to be taking caring for God's creation seriously. We can be attending city hall or a city council meetings. We can be running for school board. We can be giving to nonprofits in our community who are working to uh, address environmental harm. And, and the climate crisis. Project Clarity in Holland is working to clean up Lake Mac. When I was a kid, we used to call Lake Mac, Lake Mac a toilet because it yeah, was- Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> right? It was so polluted. Um, this thing that was supposed to be a gift from God, right? This lake that was supposed to be a gift was a threat um, because it was so polluted. We were warned, you know, don't touch the water in Lake Makatawa. Definitely don't eat any fish that you catch out of it. And that was just kind of taken for granted. And it took a while for me to come to a realization that Lake Makatawa wasn't created polluted. It wasn't created as a threat. It was created as a gift. And somehow along the way, it became a threat. And, and projects like Project Clarity are working to restore that resource back to the, the gift of God that it was supposed to be. Can't you picture God just saying like, ah, I wanted you to swim in there. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so there there are so many ways for us to to practice our faith in public. Voting is one really really important way, but I think sometimes we're kind of held hostage by the big national parties sure. and and we kind of play by their rules when they they tell us, you know, these are the terms of engagement 
that you have to abide by. And if you're a conservative and you care about climate change or you care about the environment, then you don't fit in any of these boxes and you have to make Mm. this black and white choice. When the reality is everybody has a reason to care about clean air, clean water, about a, a future where our kids and our grandkids can thrive and flourish, about a, a climate that can support farmers like Margaret in Kenya to feed her family. You know, all of us have a reason to care about that. We might come at it from different perspectives. We might come up with different solutions for how to get there. And that's fine. That's great. Like, that, let's have that, that great back and forth, that dialogue. But let's actually have that dialogue. Let's not be held hostage to these partisan battle lines that have been drawn around the issue, because the reality is we all have a reason to care without having to change anything about who we are or what we love. Hmm. So Kyle, is it fair to say this isn't something liberals should care about or something conservatives should care about, but it's something that Christians should care about because Hmm. of who God is and the gifts he's given us. Talk a little bit about that passion of yours and where it's led that this is a Christian thing. This is a follower of Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love how you said that. Uh, I, In my work, I, I and personally, I don't identify as an environmentalist. Everything I do on this issue begins and ends with Jesus. It begins and ends with the recognition that all things were created in, through, and for Jesus. The recognition that Jesus told us that the most important thing is to love God and to love our neighbor. And and what better way to love God than to love his handiwork? And what better way to love our neighbor than to make sure that they can flourish and thrive on a healthy planet? It, It comes from the recognition that all things are being reconciled to Jesus including the non-human creation. And so my faith informs everything I do. I I do this work, again, not because I'm an environmentalist, but because I'm trying to follow Jesus. And and I think that this is one way that he's called me to do that. And I I think it's one way he calls all of us to do it. And so for me, it's it's brought me maybe most most visibly um, to my work with Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. So uh, YECA, as we call it, uh, was was started in 2012, kind of out of this recognition that there were a lot of young Christians out there who were were learning and coming to this understanding about how the issue of climate change specifically and kind of creation care in general, how deeply connected it was to our faith and to um, our response to the call of Jesus to follow him. But in reality, there weren't a lot of opportunities for Christians to kind of bring their unique perspective to bear, both in the kind of the public square with our decision makers, as well as even in our churches. Because again, this this story we've been told about how this issue either belongs to the liberals, and, and if you're not a liberal, then you, you don't need to care about it. And maybe you even <laughs> you're not to allowed suspicious. to care about you're it. <laughs> not allowed. Yeah, you need to be suspicious about it. That that was forming a lot of our churches too. And and we wanted to kind of create a platform where young Christians could try to tell a different story, where where we could speak to our lawmakers from a place of authentic faith and say, because we are Christians, we want you to take this seriously and to pursue bipartisan solutions. We wanted to create a space where young people could be given the confidence and the skills to be able to bring this message to their churches. 
and say, people of God, this is, this is part of what God is calling us to. This is part of what following Jesus calls forth in us. How can we, how can we pursue that together? And to do that in a way that, that isn't condescending, but actually is built upon the heritage of faith that, that they were taught at that church, right? We, all of us at YECA, recognize that the people who raised us in the church have given us beautiful lessons and beautiful gifts. They've taught us how to love God, how to follow Jesus, how to love our neighbor. And it's precisely because of those values that they taught us that we're trying to take this seriously when it comes to this issue of climate change and, and creation care. So YECA has engaged uh, over 20,000 young people across the country since 2012 in some sort of action, whether it's raising their voices with their decision makers, um, leading a session at church, participating in one of our leadership development programs. And, and I've been involved with YECA almost since its founding. And since 2016, uh, I've been the national organizer and spokesperson, where I have the privilege of traveling to college campuses, giving lectures and, and preaching in chapel, popping into classrooms and, and giving talks. I get to to train young people in kind of how to talk about this as Christians, how to bring this message to our churches. I get to build relationships with decision makers in Washington, trying to bring the message of young Christians around the country to Washington and, and help them understand that young evangelicals are taking this seriously. And, and this is an important issue to them and, and that they want them to kind of break through that partisan noise that says that this is, uh, this is a, a partisan issue and actually work toward bipartisan consensus and bipartisan solutions. So I, I've been doing that work for, for several years now. And, and I got to tell you, I just, I feel incredibly blessed um, and privileged to, to be able to do that and, and to make a living doing it, right? To, to mm. feel like I'm right in the center of where God has called me to be and, and to be able to, to do it in a way that, you know, provides for my family and, and puts food on the table. It's just a, a beautiful gift. So Kyle, I'm sure in the course of your work, you've had conversations with Christians in particular who see things differently than you do on this topic of caring for creation. What do those conversations look like when there's fundamental disagreements or are there large areas in which you can agree on? Have you, have you had conversations like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think one of the first things that I try to do in those conversations is to listen more than I talk. I think when it comes to topics like this that can be emotionally charged, that people might be bringing some anxiety to, it's really easy to to kind of try to get your argument out there and to win, whatever that means. <laughs> and it's harder to to actually listen. So I, I really try to listen. And when I'm listening, I'm listening for values that are being communicated. Maybe it's a deep love for their family. Uh, maybe it's a, a deep commitment to protecting the unborn and ending abortion. Uh, maybe it's something else. But everybody that I engage in those types of conversations with is communicating their values to me. And, and when I hear those values, what I want to try to do is help them understand that taking climate change seriously and working towards solutions are perfectly consistent 
with those values. If it's love for their family, why wouldn't we want to try to work toward a world where their kids and their grandkids have a safe and stable planet to support their pursuits and, and support their life? If it's caring for the unborn, why wouldn't we want to work toward a world where toxins like lead, mercury, selenium, uh, all these things that cross the placental barrier and, and impede fetal development, when those aren't being spewed out of smokestacks when we dig up and burn fossil fuels, why wouldn't we try to pursue alternative fuel sources that are clean and renewable? So I, when I have those conversations, it's not that important to me that, that we agree on even the, the reality and severity of climate change, or even that we agree um, on... Uh, on particular solutions. Uh, it's, it's most important to me to, to at least plant a seed for them that can help them see themselves in the story of action. Uh, because I think for a lot of people, when, when they're resistant to the issue, it's because all they've been hearing is people who are completely different from them talking about an issue that they don't think matters to them or or their family or the people they love and proposing solutions that are inconsistent with who they are. So what I want to try to do is kind of spark their imagination to see maybe this issue actually does connect to who you are and what you love. Maybe people who are just like you are taking action already and you can join them. And maybe there are solutions out there that that you can get behind. Uh, and And the rest doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, we, we don't have to agree completely. Uh, and, and I think that the last thing that I try to do is, is to remember that it's not up to me to change anybody's mind or to get everybody on board. Uh, that's the work of the spirit, right? When I, I remember my own journey toward awareness and action on this issue, and it took years and it took dozens of different people walking in and out of my life at different times kind of picking up the thread and carrying it a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, all, you know, enlivened and supported by the Holy Spirit. So I, I try to remember that I'm, I'm only called to be faithful in that moment. And maybe that conversation is just planting a seed. Maybe somebody's already planted a seed and that conversation I'm having is watering it. And, and maybe sometimes I get the joy and the privilege of seeing that seed flower and, and the light bulb go off and, you know, we, we have that kind of joyful experience of really coming to, to some mutuality and, and exploring some, some next steps together. But that's not, that's not every time. That's not every conversation. All I need to do is, is just be faithful in that moment and let the spirit do the rest. Man, that wisdom, I think, applies to our country and our world mm. so perfectly right now, not just in the area of climate change or caring for creation. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's like I said, it's, it's been hard one. I've had a lot of ugly conversations that haven't gone well, that have taught me a lot. And I think at the end of the day, like everything I've learned just kind of boils down to, to the, the fact that we're all just humans. We're, we're all trying to do our best and, and we're all fallible. We're all trying to follow Jesus as best we know how. And none of us is doing it perfectly. And so just having the grace with one another to, to recognize that and to, to recognize our own fallenness, our own blind spots when we um, engage in these kinds of conversations, having the humility to recognize that maybe you have something to learn too. 
from from that conversation. Hey, you're a dad. Simon's almost two, you were telling me before we started recording. May I ask, how does being a father give increased meaning to your work in caring for the planet? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I always I could always intellectually assent to the idea mm-hmm. that we wanted to leave the world better than we found it for future generations. But that's always an abstraction until you hold that next generation in your arms. And by the way, that next generation like has your own heart in its body <laughs> because you love it so much. Um, it, it, it's really, it's kind of put on flesh um, to my work in a new way. It's, it's brought a sense of urgency, frankly, um, to my work. I mean, the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, has, has told us that if we continue business as usual, um, that, that even by 2040, we'll start seeing some, some, really, some really, really dangerous impacts and tipping points when it comes to our climate system we're already seeing some scary storms and stuff like that but we're really going to start seeing some some catastrophic stuff by 2040 and Simon was born in 2018 so he's going to be graduating from college in 2040 hmm. he'll be 22 and that just it it puts it in a, a completely new perspective uh, i mean I'll, I'll be honest with you too it, uh, it it has led to some some deeper valleys in the work i mean there's always peaks and valleys in this work, there's always moments of excitement where progress is being made, uh, and then there's moments of despair when you recognize, you know, we're not doing enough, and um, we're kind of a long ways off from doing what we need to be doing to, to really address this issue at the speed and scale that we need to. And I think those mountaintops are higher and those valleys are lower because uh, it, it's not an abstraction anymore, right? The the issue has has flesh and bone and and it's uh, it's my own flesh and bone and so that's it's it's made it a lot more personal that's for sure Hmm. kyle if somebody's listening to this who maybe some of these things are are new or you're giving them some food for thought here are there any resources you'd point to sure yeah Uh, a couple of specific ones and then maybe a general one uh so some specific resources that i have found really Meaningful for me, uh, a couple of books that I think communicate this really well. One is called For the Beauty of the Earth. It's by Oh, is it Steve Baumer Prediger? Yeah, Steve. Oh, yep. I love him. Steve Baumer Prediger wrote a beautiful book called For the Beauty of the Earth. Terrific guy, a terrific book, too. And it really lays out uh, from a reformed perspective, no less, just the, the scriptural support for this idea that. God really loves God's world. God has called us to share in that love. And, and part of that love um, includes a responsibility to, to take actions that protect it and preserve it. And that maybe somehow in some mysterious way, God has plans for this creation, for, for humans, of course, but, but maybe for more than just humans. And what that means then for our responsibility toward creation because of its destiny and God's good future. Really, really beautiful book um, that kind of sparked my imagination, at least theologically, for for why this might be an issue that's important for Christians that's really deeply rooted in scripture and, and just good, good, solid scriptural interpretation. Another one that that 
touches on climate change specifically from an evangelical Christian perspective might be hard to get your hands on. It's called Climate for Change by Catherine Hayhoe and her husband, Andrew Farley. Um, Maybe one of the best treatments of climate change from a Christian perspective that I've seen. Again, I think they're working on a second edition, but uh, it can be hard to find. Another one that might be easier that's also really well done, a a great treatment of creation care and climate change from a Christian perspective, um, is called Caring for Creation. It's by Mitch Hescox and Paul Douglas. You should be able to get that on Amazon. So those are some specific, at least books, that I think do a great job of kind of introducing the topic and bringing people along the way toward deeper understanding. Uh, a general topic at the risk of sounding self-serving <laughs> is YECA's website. Young Evangelicals for Climate Action has a resources tab on our website where we have more books that we recommend. We have links to YouTube videos and other uh, films that uh, are, are helpful. Kind of academic treatments of some of the core issues like what, how do we deal with the economics of this? Hmm. How do we deal with the politics of this? Bible studies are on there. Lots of great resources. Again, if you just go to yecaction.org and click on the resources tab, you'll see lots of great stuff there to engage with. Kyle, we're coming to the end of our time. I'm so grateful. You are a wise follower of Jesus who challenges me and who makes me want to dive into asking some big questions into following Jesus in this way. You do such a fantastic job of bringing people closer mm-hmm. when sometimes the controversy of this conversation feels like it pushes people away. So thank you so much for your time. Oh man, thank you. I'm humbled by that. Um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for the chance to have this conversation. So thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.